executive uh, before they got on an airplane to come to Taiwan. You know, it turned out that they did they did have uh, uh, COVID-19, but it wasn't uh, you know, obvious at the time they took the test. Uh, asymptomatic people uh, also might be a cause of this. There was a relaxation of some uh, quarantine restrictions on airline pilots, uh, quite, quite peculiar, but this has turned out to be one sor- significant source of the outbreak as well because they didn't have the same uh, quarantine period of 14 days. They had a shorter quarantine period. Uh, and also, you know, the reality that it may have existed in the population already, but there was never any mass testing here in Taiwan uh, ever since the outbreak began okay. uh, or at the beginning of last year. So how much was actually in the population is probably more than okay. the authorities wanted to admit anyway. Thanks, Ross. Sadly, we've run out of time. Great to talk to you. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group over in Taipei. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Asian markets are on the slide this morning. The ASX 200 in Australia off 0.1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down half a percent. Over in South Korea, the Cosby showing small losses of about 0.1%. And looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 0.2% lower later on this morning. Morning. Thank you very much for listening today. Do please stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Nixie Lamb in just one moment. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine, apart from one or two showers. It is going to be very hot again once again. The very hot temperature warning is in force. Maximum temperature is going to be about 34 degrees, and then it's going to remain very hot with sunny periods tomorrow. Also a few showers. More showers and thunderstorms during the weekend and early next week. It's 29 degrees right now, 84% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. President Biden has ordered the U.S. intelligence services to carry out further investigations into the origins of the coronavirus pandemic. There's been growing speculation in the U.S. media that COVID-19 accidentally leaked from a laboratory in Wuhan. The claims strongly denied by Beijing. Here's the BBC's Will Grant. What I think's happened is Washington's become frustrated. It sees that there is, from its perspective, not enough international cooperation with China into these investigations. Those news reports have attributed U.S. intelligence sources to three members of the Wuhan Virology Institute were hospitalized in late 2019. Now, that's several weeks before China first acknowledged the disease, although it is worth noting that the exact source of those intelligence reports, their reliability, isn't known. And of of course, this is a very political issue, isn't it? Of course, President Trump repeatedly said it was much more likely that it came from China in a laboratory than it did from nature. A judge in Australia has dismissed a case brought against the government by a group of teenagers trying to stop the extinction of a coal mine. The eight students argued that the expansion of the Vickery mine in New South Wales would harm young people by exacerbating climate change. Climate activists have won a groundbreaking ruling in a Dutch court against the oil giant Shell. Friends of the Earth, which launched the case, said the verdict was an enormous victory to millions of people threatened by climate change. The court ruled that Shell must cut its greenhouse gas emissions by almost half by the end of the decade, compared with 2019 levels. The lead lawyer for Friends of the Earth, Roger Cox, says all of Shell's companies must abide by the ruling. That does have an international effect because what is ruled according to Dutch law, because the headquarters of Royal Dutch Shell are vested in The Hague in the Netherlands. So the court order means that the worldwide emissions of all Shell companies, and Shell is active in about 80 countries worldwide, that the totality of those emissions that these 1,100 Shell companies generate should be reduced by 45% in 2030. So Although it's a a national verdict, according to national law, it does have an international effect.
Amazon says it's agreed to buy the Hollywood studio MGM for nearly $8.5 billion. The deal would give Amazon's video streaming service access to 4,000 films, including the James Bond and Rocky franchises. Here's the BBC's Samira Hussein. 007, meet Jeff Bezos. Normally a conservative spender, the Amazon chief executive is paying an eye-watering sum to acquire one of Hollywood's best-known studios. Buying MGM will dramatically increase the amount of content on Amazon's streaming service, Prime Video, as it continues to compete for subscribers with the established juggernaut Netflix and newer entrants into the streaming sector like Disney Plus and Apple. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton and your co-host today is Nixie Lamb. Today, should Democrats run for LegCo and Seacation? Democratic Party Chairman Lokin Hay has said messengers from Beijing have urged his party to run for the December Legislative Council poll, despite the government's electoral overhaul. Lowe said at this point of time, most of what they're saying is that you should run, you have to run, they think it's good for us to run. But he also said the Democratic Party said most of its supporters don't want the party to run. The Democrats will make a final decision in September, they say. So should they give up any chance of influence in the Legislative Council? Or will they be just window dressing? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave comments on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email bankchat at rthk.hk or you can call us. And our number is 233-88266. That's 233-88266. After 9.15, we're going to be talking about a seacation. Hong Kong is going to allow cruises to international waters from here as early as as uh, July, with strict health controls on operators, passengers and crew. Uh, would you get aboard? We're going to be talking to the Managing Director of the Worldwide Cruise Terminals uh, after 9.15 this morning. Once again, uh, if you've got any questions or comments, uh, give us a call. 233-88266 is the number, or email backchat at rthk.hk. We've got some interesting emails uh, on uh, today's uh, first topic, um, that of the future of the Democrats in uh, the Legislative Council. Uh, joining us uh, now, we have Dr. Kevin Carrico, who's a senior research fellow in Chinese studies at Monash University in Australia, and Brian Wong, founding editor in chief at Oxford Political Review and uh, Time contributor and uh, sometime co host on this program uh, as well. Uh, we're going to be talking to the treasurer of the Democratic Party after the news uh, at nine. Um, maybe let's just see where people basically uh, stand. Uh, Dr. Carrico, uh, good day to you. Good morning. Thanks so much indeed for, for joining us now. Um, what, what's your take on this? I, I guess there are different perspectives. If you were to say for the good of Hong Kong, do you think it would be Hong Kong would be would benefit ultimately from the Democrats having a presence in the Legislative Council, or do you think they'd be better off without them? Well, thanks for having me this morning. And my own perspective is that Hong Kong would benefit from having the Democrats in the Legislative Council in a way that actually represents the will of the Hong Kong people, which is not what I think is going to happen in the current arrangement. I think there's, in the current situation, a very fine line between representing the aspirations of citizens of this city and really compromising and colluding with a fundamentally unrepresentative and unjust system. So I think the question that's before us is how do you represent the 
public opinion? How do you represent the will of the people of this city in a system that is essentially designed to suppress this will? And your answer? My answer? I would say that participating uh, in this system at this point is um, essentially compromise, yes, and um, not advancing um, political development and really not advancing or representing uh, the will of the people. Uh, Okay, you're making the assumption that compromise is a bad thing. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Compromise in the uh, negative sense, yes. Uh, okay, uh, but in the in the world of politics, uh, compromise is is a win, isn't it? Is, that's an, that's where you you achieve anything in politics. Indeed, um, but uh, what when you make a compromise, it very much depends upon what one can get out of that compromise, right? Um, and uh, I, from my own perspective, we've seen over the past year. Um, the implementation of the national security law, the disqualification of uh, so many directly elected legislative council members, the delay of an election on really quite baseless grounds, and the detention of participants in an open and fair primary uh, under the pretext of national security. Um, So in the past, I can certainly understand compromising, working within an imperfect system made sense. Um, However, I think that at this point, uh, the political system in Hong Kong is beyond really any sense of representativeness, beyond any sense of redemption. And uh, I feel that, essentially, Democrats participating in this system would indeed be essentially window dressing, uh, flower vases, sort of like the so-called Democratic parties in China, um, and would really be unable to uh, hold back or hinder uh, the CCP's uh, program uh, in Hong Kong. Does what you're advocating amount to giving up? Are you just saying, well, that's it? Well, uh, I I can certainly understand that perspective, right? Um, But the question is, you know, uh, sort of both options can be viewed as giving up, right? Participating in a fundamentally uh, sort of unrepresentative system is, in a sense, giving up, uh, just as uh, sort of not participating in it is also giving up. So I, I can understand how people would certainly disagree with this. And, um, you know, I'm certainly not running uh, in the Legislative Council election <laughs> at the end of the year. So this is a, a choice for people to make as individuals uh, based on, you know, their own calculations. But from my perspective, I do think the question before people is, you know, at what point does compromise really become sort of an act of collusion and enabling a system 
that is designed to disenfranchise and really uh, oppress residents of the city. Okay, well, also with us, as I say, is uh, Brian Wong. Uh, Brian, good morning to you. Thanks for, for joining us again. Uh, what's your take on this? Again, from the point of view, say, of, of Hong Kong, for the good of Hong Kong, uh, do you think that the Democrats should uh, join uh, the polls, should uh, stand for election in December? I think the answer in short is, is yes. And the reason for that is fundamentally, oops, sorry, fundamentally, there obviously are impediments, there obviously are barriers, and let's, let's make no pretense about it, let's have none of that. At the very same time, in the absence of formal legislative presence, a political party would be little more than just a pressure group, a lobbying organisation, an effective coalition group that may be able to push forward civil society initiatives, but you would lack the resources and wherewithal within the legislature. And you might say, given the current legislative or judicial constraints when it comes to national security law and whatnot, what's the room for the Democrats to manoeuvre to push forward changes? When I think on issues like livelihood issues or social economic reforms that the government has been harping on about for a very long time, there remains a question of who's to check the administration, who's to raise constructive critique. And I genuinely doubt that any and all critique would be conceptualised as something that's dismissible, as much as it may be difficult to push forward these critiques. Then when it comes to democracy, I'm a firm believer that we still need conversation whether it be in formal and informal settings, about the eventual striving towards universal suffrage. Is it far-fetched? Possibly. Is it difficult? Definitely. But in the absence of some representation, at least within the institutions, attempts to push forward genuine reforms would fall prey and victim to what I would term the, uh, the sycophancy of, of a monolithic entity. Now, I don't classify myself as a member of the pandemic camp or the establishment camp, but I'm of the firm belief that you need pandemics in the political institutions and system to make politics and reforms work. And in the absence of that, I genuinely do worry about what's going to emerge. So the TLDR here is obviously it ain't ideal. And I agree that compromise isn't always justified or warranted. But if compromise can get an inch more than what we currently have, then I think that's a worthwhile trade-off that's worth making. So that's essentially my take there. And apologies for the background noises. Okay. Uh, you know, what, what about the argument that um, uh, democratic participation in, in the uh, Legislative Council elections and in the political process, the mainstream political process, is not just kind of, uh, of neutral uh, or, or, if you like, ineffective. It would actually be of benefit. It would, it would uh, boost the opposition. And why would it be in the interests of one party to actually, uh, you know, support, uh, uh, lend support to the other, lend legitimacy uh, to the other side? Brian Wong? Right. So, so I think the, the essence there is, I, I believe what you said point, but broadly speaking, you know, and constraints you have to consider when it comes to entering into the legislature. Like, are there certain lines or things you cannot say? The increased public profile may also uh, be of a threat or risk given, you know, the tightening room for discourse. But in face of all of these adversities, what I would say is, Ultimately, for the party, from the point of view of donors, from the point of view of those who are backing the Democratic Party, who want to feel represented as citizens on the ground, it would be much better perceptually and also objectively if there's at least a voice in the legislature that says something different. 
And you see the pro-establishment parties sort of branching off into and spiralling into all sorts of, ah, you know, we, uh, we can also be effective opposition parties, yay. Fine. That's in theory what's, you know, possible. Is that what's going to happen? I, I mean, I'm not optimistic about existing establishment parties offering that alternative uh, as a form of critique or as a form of constraint or check and balance against the government. And we're not calling for sort of diabolical opposition or obstructionism or whatever that radicals and extremists have turned to. We're just calling for a sensible voice within the parliament that's of reasonable quality that can challenge the government's policies. And in all honesty on that basis, I think having a voice, having a foot through the door is much better than not having one at all. Kevin Carrico? Well, I certainly agree that it would be nice to have an opposition voice in the Legislative Council. But we need to look at reality, okay? Um, how many pan-Democrats have been disqualified uh, in recent years? How many pan-Democrats are currently sitting in prison on fake, trumped-up charges? And so, essentially, the question at hand is whether the pan-Democrats who are not yet in prison and not yet disqualified are going to lend legitimacy to the political system that has disqualified um, and detained uh, their fellow party members and, you know, fundamentally stripped uh, the Hong Kong people of their right uh, to a representative government. Um, you know, we all know that uh, the pro-Beijing camp, you know, they couldn't win an election uh, even if it was handed to them, which uh, appears to be exactly uh, what is happening. Um, but the, you know, real problem with that is that despite the pro-Beijing camp's inability to win an election, they have no hindrance to implementing the CCP's program um, in Hong Kong. We've seen that with the National Anthem Law, which was forced through. We've seen that with the National Security Law, which was forced through in an unprecedented and, you know, frankly, illegal way. Um, so as the CCP pushes forward with its program, essentially steamrolling Hong Kong's opposition and violating all of the promises made under the Basic Law and the Joint Declaration, I think that, personally, I feel that Democrats that would like to live in dignity um, would likely want to find better outlets for activism and opposition than participating in a rigged election for a rigged legislative council, wherein the government's, uh, you know, program is going to be passed uh, regardless of what they do. What about this? Like, if you're looking at from another angle, whether or not the Democrats going to run on, or, or, or not, I mean, the city is still going to uh, run under this new uh, electoral reform format. So, if they are not participating, like, what what they're going to do? They're going to run as a as, as a, a, a some some um, protesting groups outside, or, or what, what their new position will be? 
that's that's a good question. Um, that you know, I, I have to admit, I, I personally do not have an answer to. Right? Um, we face really a, an unprecedented uh, situation for Hong Kong's political system and for its civil society. Right? That people are still figuring out. Um, my my sole concern right about participating in elections and participating in the legislative council is that by that participation nothing will in fact be achieved other than lending a veneer of legitimacy to a fundamentally undemocratic and unrepresentative system what should actually be done for people who are still not in prison who are very much concerned about the situation in Hong Kong at the moment is an open question and I think that uh, Democrats and other uh, sort of critics and opponents of the CCP's program in Hong Kong would find their time spent more efficiently by finding an answer to that question rather than sort of compromising with the unfair legislative council system as it stands at the moment. It's, it's just a, a bit funny that um, if they've, they're, they're so re- rejects, uh, um, rejecting this idea of this new legislative council uh, election or, or the whole electoral reform, then uh, what about the district council level? Uh, a lot of the uh, pan-democrats were saying, oh, we're going to stay, uh, we're going to take the oath and, and stuff like that. So um, if they disagree with the whole thing, why don't they just quit the district council as well? I mean, it, it seems like there's a two sets of... Um, of um, <laughs> um, like, um, yeah, there's just two sets of doing things uh, that like to the district council level and the legislative council level. Well... District Council uh, uh, representatives were elected um, in a relatively open and fair election uh, compared to compared to what we've seen uh, since the uh, implementation of the national security law Mm. Um, and. The main question that I would pose would be, you know, I I can certainly understand district councillors wanting to remain uh, in their positions for as long as they can. I think that the main question facing many of these councillors is how long they can do that, right? Um, Six months from now, uh, will we still be having a discussion? in which the question is whether district councillors will remain in their positions. Um, I don't mean to be too pessimistic, but somehow, seeing the way that things are going, I sort of doubt uh, that that will be what we're looking at at that point. Maybe we can ask that question to Raymond later on, because uh, it's just a different set of doing things for the Democratic Party. 
Okay, Ray, Raymond from from the Democratic Party. So join us. Yeah. Okay, lots of lots of emails on this topic. All right, uh, Steve says uh, pure communist tactics. Beijing trying to create confusion and division so that Democrat voters dissociate themselves from the Democratic Party. And since Hong Kong Democrats aren't the most clever bunch, no long-term vision. It's a sure win for Beijing. Can you ask the professor? Isn't these Beijing tactics typical of dictatorial regimes? Um, and uh, Matthew says it's good that Backchat is finally making use of the large number of experts in mainland and Hong Kong affairs like Kevin Carrico who are still willing to speak the truth with facts and genuine insight. As I pointed out multiple times there are many people like this who can strengthen the dramatically weakened debate on Backchat now that all leading uh, local leading pro-democracy advocates have been jailed or forced into exile and all pro-CCP and government people refuse to appear on the programme. Uh, Matthew also comments on both our topics uh, today. I'll, I'll keep the cruise one for, for a little bit, Matthew. Uh, but he says, uh, it's hard to figure out why participating in future elections in Hong Kong under the improved system is a difficult decision for Lo Kin Hay or anyone who genuinely believes in genuine democratic representation. Of course, the CCP want loyal opposition to run in these fake elections to create a perception of legitimacy to benefit themselves. Anyone considering candidacy should simply ask themselves whether they would run for the NPC or any other elected office in the CCP's mainland dictatorship. If the answer is no, then it's very clear what they should do. Uh, Bowen has uh, an email with the subject line, Should Any Party Run? Bowen says the caption question is not as frivolous as it may sound. The rationale for having political parties and elections is premised on the assumption that there are talented and savvy politicians. People have complained of the lack of savvy pro-democracy politicians in Hong Kong and it may well be that there are extremely few, if any, left in that camp who are capable of running in the coming LegCo election anyway. Listening to reports on what Martin Liao said yesterday, it looks like the situation is probably even worse in the pro-establishment camp. One wonders what kind of person, particularly if he or she is as highly educated as Mr Liao, would describe the new electoral arrangements as a new road to democracy, which is not to say that there is much point in opposing them in Hong Kong now. Political leadership demands good political judgment. Not knowing how far one can push a flawed argument without backfiring is hardly a sign of good judgment. That is from Bowen. And an email uh, from E, who didn't want it read out, but the, the, the gist of it was, uh, if uh, the Legislative Council will continue to act as a, as a legislature, if it no longer functions as a deliberative body, to vet, reject, make and enact laws, as well as to scrutinise uh, budgets, and I'm not sure what positive influence uh, pro-representative government parties can offer. Brian Wong, what about that point, that the, maybe the just LegCo will just kind of be a sideshow and um, there's, there's just no point in taking part in it anyway because it, it won't be a meaningful uh, or even, you know, effective uh, institution? I think we need to differentiate between no point, a reduced point and an impaired point. And I'm of the view that fundamentally there remains yet a point. And I'll explain why in three levels to this. The first is that the pandems can still suggest and push forward bills through, even though the PMB bill um, mechanism is no longer something that's external employed, they can still advance that via suggestions of forming coalitions with moderate pro-establishment forces. I don't think that's entirely out of the picture. But secondly, even the shared deliberative discourse of the quality of debate that you get is something that is added value to the legislature. Now, there's a worry, and I think it's a reasonable worry, that you might end up legitimating a flawed system. But my comment on this is as such, 
any act, any behaviour or any gesture involving the political institutions and apparatus in Hong Kong, whether it be district council, legislative council, formal and formal political discourse and dissent, would inevitably, would inevitably legitimise the system. It's a matter of giving and taking. To what extent do you think the legitimation is actually counterproductive? whether it be in terms of advancing democracy or advancing uh, perhaps more substantively as well, the, the important socioeconomic issues and concerns that are indeed troubling many citizens and denizens in this very city. And the final level or the final comment I'll make is even if Democrats alone can't transform politics, I remain convinced that the establishment is not in of itself a homogenous block of, of ineptitude. You know, there are many establishment parliamentarians and, and friends of mine who are folks that care for this city, and with which I think bipartisan consensus can indeed be sought. The view that they are all just token stamps and rubber stamps affirming what's uh, dictated from above, I think, is, is too simplistic an observation that, that ignores where it has been bipartisan collaboration over past years on issues like LINK or, or on regulating housing prices, on parallel trade. These are all areas and issues where there have been consensus and consensus can be sought. So in short, you know, do I think there's an absolute value, you know, this, this uh, wholly democratic conception of legislature that can apply to Hong Kong today in 2021? I, I'm not naive to suggest that that's the case. But I am saying that from a pragmatic point of view, uh, setting aside the optics and setting aside the perceptual quibbles you might have, it is worth it, and it is indeed a point still to running as Democrats or indeed as aspiring establishment politicians that want to give back and contribute towards the establishment without merely towing the official line. Okay, well, we're going to break now for the, for the news at nine and say goodbye to uh, Dr. Uh, Kevin Carrico. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us, Senior Research Fellow in, in Chinese Studies at uh, Monash University. Uh, Brian Wong will, will stay with us, we hope, and we're also going to be joined by uh, Ramon Yun, who's the Treasurer of the Democratic Party. We're also going to be talking later about uh, the plan for cruises to nowhere, starting as early as uh, July uh, is the plan. Jeff Bent from Worldwide Cruise Terminals will be joining us then. You can uh, talk to him, 233 Six, uh, or you can email backchat at rthk.hk and we'll do our best to read out your messages. The weather forecast, uh, very hot weather warning in place. Now it's going to be mainly fine apart from a couple of showers. Very hot during the day. Again, temperatures at about 34 degrees. Very hot with sunny periods tomorrow. 30 Celsius now. Relative humidity is at 78%. death is at this point, but the suspect is deceased at this point. So the public safety is safe at this point. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Bank chat this Thursday morning with Nixie Lam and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about the uh, future of the uh, Democrats in uh, the Legislative Council. Should they uh, even stand for election in the elections which are due in uh, December? Uh, we're joined now by uh, Raymond Yoon, who's the uh, treasurer of the uh, Democratic Party. And uh, Brian Wong is still with us, founding editor-in-chief at Oxford Political Review, a time uh, contributor, sometime a co-host on this programme. Uh, as well. Later we're going to be talking about uh, uh, cruises uh, opening up again uh, in uh, July. We'll be talking to the Managing Director of the Worldwide Cruise Terminals. If you've got any thoughts, please share them
them by calling us on 233-88266, by emailing backchat at rthk.hk, uh, or by going to our Facebook page. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. Okay, some uh, uh, interesting emails and uh, comments. Uh, uh, this is kind of a, an overlapping uh, issue. Uh, this is from uh, Martin. Uh, it's Martin B., uh, who says, Dear Backchat, yesterday two DAB supporters were jailed for attempting to bribe voters in the West Kowloon 2018 LegCo by-election. As Vincent Chung won by a mere 2,419 votes, there is a probability that his success was due to voter rigging by his party. He should therefore be requested to step down from LegCo. If it had been a pandemic who had won in similar circumstances, there would be loud demands from the pro-establishment camp that the election result be voided. The integrity of the system must be ensured. Uh, and uh, Steve says, Hugh and Nixie, will you be purchasing uh, Hong Kong's Post special edition CCP stamps? I guess you've heard that Hong Kong Post is going to release stamps celebrating the CCP's 100th anniversary. What does Nixie think about it? I'm does- going to buy that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Steve says, doesn't it go against political neutrality? I mean, China has political pluralism, as we all know. So would Nixie agree to the Hong Kong Post releasing stamps release- celebrating the anniversary of opposition parties? Hmm. Nixie? Would you agree to the Hong Kong Post releasing stamps celebrating the anniversary of the You should ask the question to the Hong Kong Post. <laughs> I'm not the decision maker, but I think it's something that uh, should celebrate for. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a set because I saw the news, right? Because I don't have time to run the errands to the uh, Hong Kong Post. So I asked my dad to, <laughs> to get it for me. Okay. Uh, on Facebook, Peter says, The Democrats need to put a tub of lard as its figurehead, much like Lord Buckethead or Lord Binman, those kind of joke candidates that stand in elections in in the uk uh, uh matthew says uh, how about a program on this topic yeah referring to the uh, eight months jail for the starry lee's aide who bribed hong kong voters tc says although the previous electoral system wasn't fully democratic candidates for geographical constituencies had to go through a fairly democratic process in order to enter office that election was one person one vote the candidates weren't disqualified arbitrarily for having views the government didn't like after beijing's improvement the system is much less democratic than before uh, the uh, Beijing's indirect encouragement of the Democratic Party to participate can't go unnoticed. This move suggests that even Beijing is aware of the fact that the improvement may lack legitimacy in Hong Kong and needs the Democratic Party's help in that respect. In view, uh, in the response of the guest who believes having an opposition voice is better than none, let me ask, do the voice of these opposition really matter? Will the government listen to those voices? That's from TC. Ramon Yun, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. What, what's your calculation here? What, what are the pros and cons, as you see it, uh, of joining the Legislative Council? Yeah, I think it's a difficult uh, situation, as you can imagine. Uh, on one hand, actually, uh, many people, uh, even now, uh, will, will query what is the meaning of running in the Legislative Council right now, especially uh, all those uh, political rationales we cannot really... Uh, uh, fight for that in the near future, and 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 at the same time, you can see so many of our members yeah, are in jail or under the prosecution of a national security law. So actually, there is a huge threat, and under the new system of the uh, of the old, 
Actually, the you can see the DOJ, the Department of Justice, they have the authority, the power actually to suspend the counselor any time as many things. They violate something like that, so anything, or have something harm to Hong Kong senator. So it will be really difficult on that side. But on the other side, some people will also tell us they are so worried about the legislative council. No. Councilman. What's the uh, the 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 views at the moment within the Democratic Party? So I'm sure there will be two split views uh, among maybe by like age. Maybe it seems like the uh, the the older generation within your party are quite keen, and they actually came up after well. About a year or so, a lot of them haven't been doing any interview, but then recently they've been quite yeah. active, and 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 the younger ones. It seems like uh, there's a split view. Um, how do you tackle that? Actually, it's not about uh, the generation. I, I would say mm. uh, even the older generation they have split views, and even the younger generation they will have split views as well. Right. So I don't think it's the, uh, the, the, the because of the generation problem. It's how we perceive the current situation mm. and what's the risk and the potential harm and, and, and our core radio, whether we can maintain our core radio, like the rule of law, democracy, human rights. Like Is there say, like a stronger view at the moment within the, 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 the two the two choices that you have? Of course, of course I think the obvious view is that oh, uh, there are so many hesitations. Uh, on learning that, yeah, that we have never experienced it before, not even uh, during the moment in her last uh, last year. Uh, we're talking about we are very, whether we should stay in the legislative council for another year. So uh, it's much more fun than that. But you, as you see, uh, we uh, will decide that in our uh, extraordinary uh, meeting, uh, annual, uh, extraordinary general meeting uh, in September. So uh, that says uh, the, the, the vote uh, will be by one party, uh, one people, one vote by our, uh, our members. So actually, that will be the decided result. But uh, uh, we, we will see because uh, you can see some, some, sometimes the result can be different from what we uh, And in the moment, actually, we are so concerned and uh, caring about our party members. We are doing try to do our support, especially those who are in the prison or under. Uh, different political prosecution. So we are actually spent so much time on that, and you can see even our senior members got into jail in the in in, in this past 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 two weeks. So actually, we spend so much time and and and, and effort on that as well in, in the moment. So we do not really have uh, time to have an uh, in-depth discussion on uh, whether to run or not. But hopefully, uh, maybe next month or in, in July, more details. Uh, are there going to be like uh, dialogues in between like w yourself and other parties or, or some government officials and stuff like that regarding to this? Uh, I mean within the party itself because actually uh, uh, of course we will concern what our members 
thing for our core supporters thing because I do think the autonomy or how to call and maintain our core values, core beliefs, I think is the most important. And of course, I think we will get into notes. We keep updated by different like news report or news. And the thought, uh, thought is something like that. Uh, uh, some uh, senior member also received, uh, so some, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's government official or some middleman think that oh, they want uh, uh, the Democratic Party to win. But the most core issue, uh, core issue is that uh, what's the meaning to run and what sh uh, should we do and uh, what is the risk? And yeah, I said if we choose not to run, then what? The plan, what's the alternative? What we have to do outside the legislative council, and will it really work? Does it work? Something like that. So we all have to consider. Yeah. Okay, an email from Alan who says the CCP wants a government for Hong Kong like the National People's Congress, a rubber stamp where most votes have where most votes have one person richly have have one person richly abstain out of three thousand, so they can say the opposition is allowed. The government has arrested dozens of Democrats for holding a pre-selection poll. If any Democrats did get into Legco, the moment they challenged the government line on any issue, they would be accused of violating the national security law. The Wolf Warriors would not tolerate the slightest dissent. That comes from uh, Alan uh, Brian Wong. Would, would it end up like the NPC, and is the NPC a, 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 a rubber stamp? So I'll make two observations. The first is that fundamentally from Beijing's point of view and also from the insurgents' point of view, I think there's, I guess, self-interest and also incentive on their part to keep the legislature different from the NPC in essence, whether it be in terms of division of labor, in that there's a substantially greater scrutiny on local issues, which allows in turn for more leeway and degrees of freedom in the medium to long term. But secondly, also because there's only one NPC, and the, the modus operandi of the NPCC is essentially something that I think Beijing wants to keep as uniquely applicable to it. That is why when it comes to the consultative committee, it's a different modus operandi, right? Folks can raise and tout bills at the NPC, whereas when it comes to the, C, uh, the consultative committee, it's less of a sort of legislative body and more just a consultative come deliberative entity. So in short, I do not think that LegCo is going to be you know, transformed into a quasi-NPC, uh, and there is going to be more leeway and flexibility there. But with that said, on the broader rubber stamp question, look, I appreciate the concerns, I appreciate why folks might think of these institutions as rubber stamps. I would just say, though, that as legislators, as politicians, it is precisely the onus of politicians from all sides and all factions, establishment or Democrats, to find leeway, to find room for manoeuvring within the boundaries stipulated by Beijing. Is that going to be an easy task or a mean feat? Certainly, certainly not. But I think it behoves all parties, all folks who actually care for Hong Kong's future, as opposed to their own careers, to stand up and stand out for this, this alternative path that, frankly, is becoming increasingly difficult as current circumstances and events unfold before our eyes. So I hope that answers your question. It's not a rubber stamp. If we can make it not a rubber stamp, and where that's indeed possible via working within the system, you should go for it and do that. Ramon, you know, the, the, the danger is, one, one danger is surely that uh, if uh, you don't have any representation in, in the legislative council, uh, the Democratic Party and the Democratic camp will just kind of uh, wither 
through neglect, even with a sympathetic uh, media, uh, if there's just no spokespeople, there's, the, the, there are no personalities, there's no presence, as I say, in the, where, where the decisions are made, uh, then there's nothing to report and uh, the Democratic camp will just disappear from, from public consciousness. Something else will come along, something else will catch the imagination, perhaps a different, uh, a different approach, but maybe uh, that'll just be the end of the Democrats. If you're not keen to run for the Legislative Council or participate in the uh, the political game in Hong Kong, then why establish a new mainland affair like little committee within the Democratic Party? What's the purpose of that committee? Oh, I, uh, that, that committee is to understand uh, the mainland the situation and to have more perspective on that side and in order to have a better understanding or even better decision making that will come into our situation. That is not, uh, not necessary, uh, it's not necessarily mean that you won or lost one, but that's of course, no matter if you like it or not, at the moment we have to understand more about the, uh, the mainland situation or uh, of that perspective in order to uh, have a Okay, uh, Ramon, thanks very much. Just a couple more comments, uh, contrasting uh, comments from, from listeners to finish. Uh, R says, uh, Helen Sussman was the sole member of the South African Parliament for years who voted against apartheid legislation. She carried enormous influence domestically and internationally. The Afrikaners hated her but dared not get rid of the famous late middle-aged lady. It's always worth standing even if you are the only voice, but you must be very clever, very fit and very brave. 
And uh, John says, why would Democratic Party run in a fake election? It's not even an election. It's selection, CCP style. They asked Democratic Party to join so as to show the world. Oh, look, we're having a fair elections in Hong Kong. Uh, Nixie, not questioned for bribing yet? Question mark. DAB members can't trust them. That comes uh, from uh, John. Thanks very much indeed for for that. Uh, we're joined uh, finally today. I tell you, oh, sorry, do an interesting email. Uh, this is uh, on an unrelated topic. This is from Vince, uh, who says, Dear Backchat, please uh, help bring to the attention of the Social Welfare Department or government that there is a group of captive people at care homes who are literally dying to get the jab. Likewise, loved ones who are desperately waiting to visit their loved ones again. There are also residents like myself who can get around independently but are under lockdown because of social welfare regulations and also desperately waiting to be allowed the freedom to go out and catch up with their friends and relatives. It's really upsetting that the government is offering the jabs to other groups who feel like care homes have been swept under the carpet. Please help bring this to the Social Welfare Department's attention to urgently expedite the inoculations to care homes. That comes uh, from Vince. Thank you very much indeed for that uh, uh, email, uh, Vince. Uh, Finally today, uh, as mentioned, we want to uh, take to the seas as uh, uh, the uh, uh, world of cruising, uh, with any luck, will be uh, open as early as uh, July with uh, new uh, uh, seacation opportunities, or cruises to nowhere, as they're sometimes called, uh, sailing to uh, international waters, uh, possible from as early as July uh, with uh, strict uh, conditions on social distancing and, and health controls and so on. Uh, Jeff Bent is with us, Managing Director of Worldwide Cruise Terminals. Mr. Um, Bent, good morning to you. Thanks for joining morning, us once again. Uh, okay, so this is good news for you at last, finally. Fingers Indeed. crossed. <laughs> yes, we're all very excited to see a resumption of cruising in Hong Kong, as has been seen in 40 other countries and jurisdictions around the world. Okay, so, so how's it going in those other places? It's going quite well. Um, demand is, I think, stronger than anybody anticipated, and um, the, the cruise lines are, uh, are very happy to, to be able to sail again and provide their guests a, uh, a vacation experience that we've all been dreaming of. Uh, okay, uh, just one more comment from, uh, this is from uh, Matthew, uh, who's, first of all, he said, funny to hear your guest, Brian Wong, quite unbelievable claims to be neither democracy nor pro-CCP, use link and housing prices as an example of how there are good quality ideas and people in the pro-establishment side. With arguments like this to defend the regime, obviously he's not one of them, so it's just as well he's called uh, middle of the road. There are other comments from Matthew on, on the uh, on the cruise, maybe we'll get to uh, in a moment. Uh, um, so, uh, Japan, when would this come to fruition, do you think? When do you think the ships will actually be leaving? The ships will start sailing from around 30th of July. Mm. Yep. That's quite soon, isn't it? Yeah, and um, about five times a week after that between two different lines. And, and are they sort of high-end, or what sort of prices were you were talking about here? Um, I think they will be priced to uh, attract, you know, a, a wide variety of, of, uh, of people in Hong Kong and certainly in line with other, you know, staycation options available. Uh, but you're doing this at 50% capacity. Is that – can you make money like that? Um, I believe they can, and cruise lines have a lot of fixed costs. Um, you know, they have to depreciate those billion-dollar ships by the same amount every month, regardless of whether they have revenue coming in or not. So, so having ev any revenue coming in is good revenue for that type of business. So it's like maintenance and stuff like that? Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ongoing maintenance for the ships, even when they're not sailing. Hmm. 
So I saw the news yesterday. I think they they anticipate a prize for like a three days or or two nights package is about a thousand two hundred Hong Kong dollars. Is that true, or is that the market that, uh, the the prize that we're actually looking at? I I think the the two cruise lines um, have have both put out some um, initial price points of mm. maybe twelve hundred and seven hundred mm. uh, per night. But um, we'll we'll see. You know what happens when they're when the Packages are actually marketed by the travel agencies. Mm. So, are we looking at like how how popular you you anticipate it's going to be like within the Hong Kong market? You know, every market is different, but um, the the reaction has been surprisingly strong in um, in in other markets around the world. When when cruise has restarted, you know, I, I think uh, in the industry, people were wondering, you know, what's you know how much are people going to want to get on get on the ship? You know there aren't mm. the destinations that there were before. You know it's not quite the same product. But um, on the other hand, there are limited other options, and um, you know people have already done a lot of staycations around town. What we've seen in in neighboring jurisdictions like Taiwan and Singapore is that um, the demand has been very strong, and it's not. Just people who have already cruised before. Initially, we thought, oh, it'll be people who are, you know, inveterate cruisers. But but there were a lot of first timers also. You know, like maybe in the past they didn't think of taking a cruise vacation. But if there aren't many um, options, <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Mm. Like, what about the activities? Is there any restraints? Like like fifty percent as well for all those like events within the cruise? And- I I think um, the cruise lines have. Um, probably arranged booking systems similar to some of the hotels where you need to uh, set a time. So if you're going to be um, riding the the surfing machines or or doing the um, the water slides or something, you'll you'll have some book time in advance. Same thing with like the Broadway shows. You know there will mm. be um, limited capacity seating and and uh, pre booked uh, times. What about buffets? That's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, you Save know, for the water slides, you can't wear a mask when you're sliding. <laughs> no, but um, you we know have, these. Will they these have buffets or, or? They they usually have you know ten plus different F and B venues, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are a la carte. But um, they'll still have buffets, but it'll be um, instead of you grabbing the utensils and and the food, somebody will provide Sarah, the food to you. You you just point at what you want and. Um, and that that will go a long way towards ensuring hygienic conditions. Mm-hmm. I think it's like same as the hotel buffets that like you have to wear a mask when you go out to yes. pick up your food and stuff like that. Or, or, or is there going like, to be like waiters like passing the food for you instead of you grabbing them? From well, for the for the buffet, it, yeah. they'll they'll grab it for you, but you'll be in line. Of course, for the a la carte restaurants, you know, then mm-hmm. then there will be regular waiters. Okay, uh, okay. Here's an email from James. Um, uh, and so, um, uh, Jeff, if you want to listen to this and maybe you can love to maybe you can change james's mind all right he's what you might call a skeptic all right uh james says good morning it seems a perfect metaphor for where hong kong is now a cruise to nowhere let hong kongers pay a thousand dollars a day to stay in a space smaller than their flat stand and point at the buffet and hope the waiters get it right we all know the architectural ingenuity of hong kongers at piling a plate at a buffet again government enthusiasm two press conferences in two days for a dumb idea that's collect that's captured the collective ennui of the public. Why take a cruise to nowhere when you could take a ferry to somewhere? Hong Kong's lovely outlying islands and support local restaurants and businesses. That comes from James. 
I think it's another it's another great option. I mean, hey, over the last year and a half, um, you know, all of us have explored Hong Kong even more than you know we we thought we could, and um, and it's been a wonderful experience. But um, you know, there's there's uh, always a benefit to having more choices, and you know, this will be the safest place in in Hong Kong to be. You know, where else can you go in Hong Kong? where every single soul has had a PCR test within the last 48 hours and everybody over 16 years of age is fully inoculated. All right, okay, and another skeptic, this is Matthew, uh, who says, it's hard to uh, imagine a more stupid and inappropriate arrangement during a pandemic than the exception the Hong Kong government has decided to give the cruise industry to operate cruises to nowhere. It's amazing what exceptions can be given to those with vested interests. I wonder if people like Jeff Bent from the cruise terminal or cruise operators like Genting uh, will be held accountable if anything goes wrong. Of course not. Also, if cruises to nowhere can operate under the conditions of full vaccination, compulsory testing, half capacity in a largely indoor environment, why can't the June the 4th vigil proceed on a similar basis outdoors? What do the cruise industry representatives on the programme think about this? Would Jeff Bent or other industry advocates agree the vigil should also be able to proceed under similar conditions or no comment? That's from Matthew. I think that Everybody in Hong Kong should just hurry up and get the vaccine. <laughs> Frankly, that's so true. I, I yeah, it's I, I mean, it, some people say it's you know a Western versus Eastern perspective. Others, you know, it depends on the on the situation of the virus where you live and and places where you know like Australia, New Zealand, mm -hmm. where it's not a problem. You, you know, it seems like there's no urgency, but. You know, we will never get out of this purgatory that we've been living in for the last year and a half until everybody is vaccinated. It is just mm -hmm. that simple. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I understand the, the reluctance. I understand people want more data and, and take it all in. But, you know, at this point, hundreds of millions of people around the world have been um, inoculated. And um, it, we, we, we really um, hope we can get back to a normal life soon. Is there going to be like a vaccinator soon or non-vaccinator soon? With Everyone's the vaccinated, I think. Everybody will be vaccinated right, right, right. who goes on board. So, so it'll mm. it'll be the safest place to be. Mm. Nixie, why why do you think people don't get vaccinated in Hong Kong? People are just worried. A lot of the older people, because they have a lot of health conditions. I spoke to them. Like they, they're quite keen to get it, but then they, they're worried. Like a lot of them have like um, like high blood pressure and stuff like that, and uh, they have to consult their doctors. And, and do their doctors worried. do their doctors say no or do depends they, you know? on what doctor. Some doctors are very um very, very uh, like um keen to ask them to get vaccinated but then, then some of um, them are quite um, conservative to say well maybe you can wait and see i mean they, they wouldn't want to put that responsibility on their shoulders right so there's still like a mix of like, it's just like depends on the person because sometimes i i know some of the my friends like their parents say they're pretty old already but then, then there's like oh I, I have to go and get vaccinated soon i'm, I'm going to be the first batch so it really depends on the personality mm. Okay. Well, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us, Jeff Bent. Thank you very much indeed for managing director of Worldwide uh, Cruise Terminals. Uh, Nixie, thank you very much indeed. Thanks very much indeed to our producer, Yuki Jung, once again, and the weather forecast. Mainly fine today, apart from some showers. Very hot again during the day, with temperatures up to about 34 degrees uh, in town and a bit uh, warmer in the new territories. The outlook very hot, with sunny periods around tomorrow, and there'll also be a few showers, more showers and thunderstorms during the weekend and early next week. There's a very hot weather warning now. Celsius, relative humidity 76%.
Results of the Primary One central allocation will be sent to parents by post using door-to-door -door delivery service. Parents may also receive the results via SMS. If you made your choices of schools in January, you will receive the Primary One registration form on June 2nd or 3rd. Follow the information attached to the form to register your child with the allocated school. If you have not received the form by June 4th, please call the Education Bureau at 2832-7700. the news now with Samantha Butler. An academic in Chinese studies has described Democrats' participation in the LegCo elections scheduled for December as window dressing. Kevin Carrico, a senior research fellow at Monash University in Melbourne, told RTHK's Backchat program there was a fine line between representing the aspirations of citizens and compromising and colluding with an unjust system. President Biden has ordered the U.S. intelligence services to carry out further investigations into the origins of the coronavirus pandemic. There's been growing speculation in the U.S. media that COVID-19 accidentally leaked from a laboratory in Wuhan. The claims strongly denied by Beijing. And it's been announced that Eric Carle, the author of the and illustrator of the much-loved children's book The Very Hungry Caterpillar, has died at the age of 91. The book was first published in 1969 and went on to sell more than 50 million copies and has been translated into more than 66 languages. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the university. Set and costume designer. Great interpreter of Beethoven. As well. Oh, so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults. It's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decide for what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Hello, good morning and welcome to Thursday. It's the morning brew. Our luxury, extremely high-level vet, Dr. Dave Getting, will be with us after 11 today to answer your questions. And he wants to talk about allowing pets, whatever kind, to sleep on your bed, which, let's face it, everyone does. After a while. <laughs> Do your questions as well. Morning brew at rthk.hk or just slap something up on our Facebook page. Dave will answer it. No worries. Done. After 12 today, biz futurist Morris Misalowski will join us because he was busy on Tuesday. He's going about talking about travelling at Mach 4 and invisibility cloaking. Yep, it's a thing like most sci-fi things. This, to an extent, is actually becoming a reality. Off we go with the music. It's the script to get us going this morning. Lovely Thursday. Very hot weather warning and stuff. It's superheroes. Took away the prophet's dream For a prophet on the street Now she's stronger than you know A heart of steel starts to grow All his life 